I mean, you've been in the Virginia legislature for two years. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Just finished my second uh, second session. Chris Hurst represents Virginia's 12th district. Gun control has been one of his signature issues. How many gun control bills have you seen in that time? I have not been able to vote on any uh, that I would say uh, are meant to actually tangibly save lives and, and reduce gun violence. Hurst says it's not like no one's writing these bills. It's just that in Virginia, this kind of legislation gets stuck. We send all of our uh, gun legislation primarily to the Militia, Police and Public Safety Committee that deal with uh, matters of law enforcement, uh, but also with firearm regulation. Uh, They all then get reassigned to this special subcommittee, subcommittee number two. A lot of subcommittees have names after them to describe the kinds of bills that would go to that subcommittee so the public can see there's some order to the process. But we don't do that in Virginia. The majority party likes to make them numerical, one, two, or three, so as to further cloud exactly which bills go where and why. And they send all of the really difficult uh, gun violence prevention bills to this subcommittee number two, where either late at night or early in the morning, by four to two votes, four Republicans and two Democrats, all of these bills get killed in a matter of minutes. It sounds pretty Byzantine. That's, I think, a very good word for it. Uh, Draconian, uh, antiquated, whatever word you want to use. After the shootings in Virginia Beach last month, it's hard to know what kind of story to do. These events take on a numbing sameness. We talk about them for a week, and then they're gone. I wanted to talk to Chris Hurst, because he and the rest of the Virginia legislature, now they have to pick up the political pieces. Delegates are about to return to the state capitol for an emergency session. I will be asking for votes And laws, not thoughts and prayers. The governor wants them to consider everything from universal background checks for gun owners to a ban on assault weapons. Business as usual, with leadership shielding most of their members from taking tough votes by setting early morning hearings before small subcommittees won't cut it. The nation will be watching. But before I tell you about the work Chris Hurst has done and the work he's about to do, I need to tell you who Chris Hurst is. Prior to being a state legislator, he was a local news anchor. He switched careers after his girlfriend, Allison Parker, was shot and killed on live television. Allison and Chris had just moved in together. They worked out of the same newsroom. Within a year, Hearst had quit journalism, decided to run for elected office. He wanted to get something done, especially when it came to gun control. That hasn't been easy. It's frustrating in as much as I see so many people who continue to die through gun homicide and gun suicide and know that if we didn't have partisan intransience on this issue, almost singularly on this issue, uh, then we could really try and move the needle forward and, and prevent anybody else from having to live with what I have to live with. At the same time, I don't know, I guess my uh, my brain tries to protect me from further frustration. So I, I remain optimistic that 
There are people who, uh, even on the other side, that were resistant to wanting to maybe talk about this uh, a few months ago or a couple years ago, now want to come to the table. Today on the show, Chris Hurst is going to tell me what he thinks it's going to take to make real change on gun control in a state like Virginia. Hurst is a gun control activist. He's also a gun owner, and he's trying to find a new way to talk about an issue you probably think you already have an opinion on. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Gun violence is part of what brought you into the role you're in now, but you represent a pretty rural district where people are gun owners. And I wonder I wonder if you want to be talking about gun legislation as much as you are now. Oh, I, I have no problem with it. And I'm a gun owner, too. Uh, I have the shotgun that my brother gave to me for Christmas a few years ago. So I don't have a problem talking about guns. I spoke to my local Kiwanis Club uh, here in Montgomery County just today, and we talked about guns for probably half of the session. That's because I think a lot of gun owners, uh, responsible hunters and, and uh, sportsmen out there, people who want to have firearms for home protection, either though the numbers show having a gun inside your home makes you more likely to die from gun violence rather than less likely, but so be it. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. All of those folks, they want to talk about this issue because they're confused. They don't understand it. They see this carnage that is happening every single day, 150 days in America and 150 mass shootings when Virginia Beach occurs. People know that something's wrong, and they're looking to people like me to try and say, yes, I agree with you, something's wrong, and I want to try and fix it. It's so interesting. You describe your brother giving you a shotgun a couple years ago in the same breath as talking about, well, having a having a gun in your house does make it more likely that violence will occur there. I, did you ever consider saying, no, nah, I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't need this or no. You know, I, um, I have gone back and forth a lot of, well, why do I even have the gun? I think the reason why I have it is because I don't really even think about it and don't really know what to do with it. Um, you know, I've had stalkers and protective orders I've had to take out on people and I've had, Law enforcement friends offer me ballistic vests for times, you know, uh, in the last four years since Allison died for different things that were going on with various threats. So I guess I'm trying, still trying to wrestle through that as a progressive, as a legislator, and as someone who deeply is committed to gun violence prevention. Uh, even for me, sometimes um, my, uh, my brain doesn't, uh, you know, listen to the other side. <laughs> I saw this AP headline from back in January. It said, in, in Virginia, gun bills are more likely to become campaign ads than laws. Does that ring true to you? 
Yeah, because everything that we have tried to do that would be toward gun violence prevention or to increase gun safety uh, has failed. So we have not been able to change the laws uh, or to uh, add new provisions that would be able to help. So, yeah, it's interesting. I was looking into what Virginia had done on gun violence in the past, and I noticed that six months after your girlfriend Allison died, Virginia did sign gun restrictions into place. But Allison's dad was actually really outspoken against those those pieces of legislation. And I, I wonder if you can explain a little bit what happened there and kind of what that shows to you about how the sausage was made. So in the 2016 legislative session, during the session, I believe, the Attorney General Mark Herring issued a new guidance for how his office was going to enforce reciprocity for concealed carry permits that individuals have uh, between states. Um, uh, Virginia actually had some of the strictest standards for how we would honor uh, any concealed carry permit an individual may have from another state. So let's say you're from West Virginia and you come over to Virginia, you're a concealed carry holder, um, and you're going out to a restaurant and, you know, whatever, it gets stopped and you need to have your concealed carry permit get checked. Uh, If you don't have a concealed carry permit from a state that has the same standards, thresholds in order to qualify to get one that Virginia does, we wouldn't honor it. And so the attorney general said, well, basically, we're going to start enforcing this. And that sent Republicans in the NRA into a tailspin where they thought that that was a total, you know, uh, hoodwink that this was an overreach, a bridge too far. And this was also during the time when many, many other issues were on the table and being actively negotiated between two Republican chambers, the House and the Senate, and a Democrat in the governor's mansion in Terry McAuliffe. And so in an effort to try and advance Democratic legislation overall, uh, the governor saw an opportunity to negotiate uh, and was able to get some things that were good, uh, being able to have there be a uh, possession prohibition for those who are subject to permanent protective orders is something that should have been done in Virginia a long time ago. And I'm glad that 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 was done as part of this legislation. As a result, uh, we, I think, went too far in, in caving to the NRA and Republican demands, which was to have universal concealed carry reciprocity, which meant that, for instance, in Utah, when I believe you don't even need to Uh, pass any kind of test, take any type of exam, and I think you can be 16 and get a concealed carry permit in Utah, that would have to be honored in Virginia now as a result of that compromise. And so there were gun uh, violence prevention advocates like Allison's father who thought that that deal wasn't a good deal. And I respect them for that. Uh, I think that the governor at the time, you know, had a lot that he was trying to negotiate, Medicaid expansion being one of them, that we weren't uh, able to expand uh, that year and had to wait until last year, you know, two years later in order to do. It just shows how hard it is, though, because, you know, right. so yeah. here's what we did. you know, because concealed carry reciprocity has been a national push by the NRA. Right. We talk at the federal level about having national concealed carry permits, national right to carry. That's why on this issue of concealed carry reciprocity, we knew that this was something very, very important to the gun lobby and the special interests. And so for that, even knowing that that's their, one of the most important things they're trying to do, uh, that all we could get out of it was a possession prohibition on those subject to permanent protective orders, which can only be enforced six months after the initial 
emergency protective order is issued is really showing how much we had to give up in order to get just a little bit, just to get table scraps. Yeah, it just shows, you know, the idea, I think, of a lot of people in the United States is, you know, the grand compromise. Like, let's all come to the table and hash something out. And in some ways, when I look at what Virginia did in 2016, in some ways it just shows, wow, that's that's not working. <laughs> the way that yeah, so yeah. when when people think of compromise and and an idea of a great compromise, an ability to do something transformative, you would think that it would be multifaceted. That would would include multiple uh, planks of a platform. That it would achieve and solve so many of the other issues and tie up all the loose ends uh, in order to say that we can actually address this once and for all. And yet the compromise we got in Virginia, this great compromise was essentially one little tiny nudge, you know, from both sides where you have uh, an attitude of not giving up an inch to save a mile. That, that's been a refrain that I've heard over and over again during my first term in office, uh, where you are incentivized as a special interest, whether you represent a client, whether you represent a cause or whether you represent a person to not give up an inch to save a mile. And I think that's the wrong attitude because it's preventing us from really making the kind of sea change reform we need to do on a whole host of issues that the public is demanding. I wonder if you want to talk about some of the Virginia specific challenges here. Like there's, first of all, the fact that the governor, the attorney general, there, there have been so many controversies in the state. Do you worry that's going to impact your ability to get something done? No, I don't think that will impact our ability to get something done. I, I think having the headquarters of the NRA and organizations like the Virginia Citizens Defense League is going to be more of a barrier for us to be able to achieve what we want to yep. achieve. Lis- listeners might not know who the Virginia Citizens Defense League is, and I feel like I'd like you to tell them because I've I've heard it framed that the Virginia Citizens Defense League is actually more conservative than, than the NRA. Yeah, I you I wouldn't call them more conservative because I think that that you know does a disservice to regular folks out there who still call themselves conservatives. I think they're wacky. You know, they're they're a bunch of silly heads over there at the Virginia Civil Defense League. Just think, we wouldn't have any airplanes if somebody you know it, you know they, they've been misused to kill people. Uh, cars have been misused uh, with by drunks and and others to kill people. Um, we don't get rid of all those things. We don't even talk about it. It's not even on the radar because in those cases we say we need to punish the individual. Uh, the VCDL um, is more extreme than the NRA. They want a gun in every bassinet. Um, they want a gun with for every teacher. They believe that the only way to ensure their protection and their family's protection is to have a gun on their hip. And... Um, you know, I believe that we're a nation of laws uh, and not a nation of lawlessness where you need to be strapped in order to feel like you're safe. And the NRA and the Virginia Citizens Defense League, do they have a lot of power in Richmond? They have a tremendous amount of power because, uh, unfortunately, they have a lot of sway with the very noisy, loud, uh, small minority, the single digit percentage uh, people that we have in Virginia who are severely motivated on this issue uh, and believe that uh, Democrats and those who are trying to take their guns uh, or trying to regulate firearms in any way are trying to take their guns uh, and that 
it's uh, going to lead to anarchy and to the uh, destruction of our country. And for them to actually believe that has been validated by, you know, online uh, propaganda and by uh, the uh, operation of groups like the VCDO. Hmm. Is it money that they have that they that they're able to funnel into races and make folks vote the way they want them, want them to vote? It's fear. You don't vote my way. We'll make sure you're primaried and you lose the primary and then you don't get to come back and, you know, be one of the policy and decision makers, you know, one of the uh, important arbiters of policy in Virginia. If you don't vote our way, we'll make sure you don't get to come back and not through money, but by finding somebody to primary you in your district. But of course, Virginia's legislature has been going bluer and bluer. Is that threat real? It's real. It's certain the threat of a primary is certainly real for some folks. Um, You know, we have a guy right now, Chris Peace, who made a principled, correct move in voting for Medicaid expansion last year. And that has animated the far right uh, base in his district, a very conservative district, I think voted for Trump uh, 65 or 70 percent. He's now being primaried in a fashion that's being contested by both he and his opponent, where there's going to be legal battles and court battles. And this was on a vote for Medicaid expansion. This was about giving health insurance to poor people. This wasn't about, you know, trying to take firearms away from people potentially, you know, as has the conversation been framed by the other side. So they, there is a very, very real threat that if you animate the far right base, they will primary you and they will do everything they can to, to throw you out. As a former journalist, Chris Hurst knows better than anyone how what happens in the wake of a shooting like the one at Virginia Beach can be twisted and reshaped by special interests. So I asked him, given all that he knows now, as a legislator, as a survivor of gun violence, how should the media be doing this differently? Initially, in order to gain understanding, I think it's incumbent upon the press to identify the shooter and possible motivations go into a history of of their background to try and and seek understanding, uh, but did not dwell on missives or manifestos or various writings uh, that only are meant to be scandalous and give the shooter the attention that that they are seeking. And they really do seek this. uh, And it became codified for me uh, when you read what Allison and Adam's murderer had to say, which was that he was motivated by the Virginia Tech shooter, that he was directly motivated to act as a result of the Charleston shooter uh, who wanted to start a race war, that he wanted to further that race war uh, with his response by killing Adam and Allison. Uh, And then at Umqua Community College in Oregon, a couple of months later, uh, that shooter cited Allison and Adam's killer as a motivator to try and outdo him because what he had done was seen as one upping the game because it had been live streamed and been recorded. It sounds like you see what happened to Allison and Adam as part of this web of violence across the country. Yeah, that's why I call this a phenomenon that we're in because uh, they all are observing one another, admiring one another. Uh, It is a special type of person that is drawn to this that maybe a generation or two ago might have been drawn to other uh, acts of infamy or acclaim, like serial killing. Uh, And now it seems that uh, those who are so 
desperate, those who are in so much pain, those who have so much anger, they want to not only end their own life, but unfortunately want to kill others as they do it. And they're trying to figure out how they can go out uh, with as much infamy as possible. And uh, that uh, is something that is not going to change overnight by just uh, changing any firearms laws. That's going to change by uh, really working to address how our society has enabled that behavior to happen. Yeah, I was going to say, it It feels like legislation is too small of a thing to combat something like that. Well, if we did a better job, I think, regulating speech online, we could probably uh, help with a lot of that. Uh, the fact that uh, I've had threats on my life by individuals who thought that I was a part of the deep state uh, and a crisis actor, that I was paid by the CIA uh, to fake the murder to try and change gun laws. You know, the fact that I and Allison's parents and so many others have had their lives threatened because of this misinformation and uh, outright falsehoods and conspiracy videos that have been propagated online with no censorship by YouTube or Facebook or Twitter for the most part uh, enables this kind of behavior to metastasize and get worse. And so there is, I think, hope that not only as it relates to firearm regulation, but also regulation of internet um, websites and potentially um, looking at the profit models for for websites like YouTube and how they monetize these videos. Those are all things that I think government can have a hand in too. Deciding to regulate online free speech is the kind of change that would probably have to be made in Washington, D.C. In the meantime, Chris and his colleagues are set to return to Richmond later this month to craft their own legislation. You mentioned at the top the Byzantine committee process that all of the gun legislation goes through in Virginia. When you step back into Richmond in a few weeks, how are you going to avoid that process? The governor has said, I want these all coming to a vote. I want you on the record, each and every one of you, with how you feel about all of these issues relating to gun control. How are you going to make that happen? You know, unfortunately, the ball is not on my court for that. Um, the ball is on the court of the uh, Senate Majority Leader and the Speaker of the House. And uh, if they would like to get us out of the Byzantine Empire and into the 21st century for how we deal not only with this issue, but so many others, uh, while the entire Commonwealth and I think the nation is watching, uh, they're going to have that opportunity. And I hope they make the right choice. Chris Hurst, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Chris Hurst is the delegate for Virginia's 12th district. And that's the show. Thank you to everyone who came out and said hi at Slate Day. It was a blast. We loved it. Thank you. If you like this show, let us know on Twitter or just go into your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating or a review. It helps folks find us. And we like getting the feedback. Our show is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. And I'm Mary Harris. I'll talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.